Hi everybody, this is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today, I'm discussing why everyone needs to exercise to improve strength. I discuss how strength impacts cardiovascular disease, longevity, and overcoming acute illness. I also provide you with simple methods for improving strength no matter where you're starting out. This podcast, again, is for everyone. So don't tune out if you think this is just for power lifters. This is for everyone, including your 13-year-old son, all the way up to your 75-year-old grandma. As always, though, before making changes to your health and fitness program, please talk to your doctor. All right, let's dig in. Strength can be defined in general terms as the ability to generate force. And in some cases, that's against an external resistance, like maybe pressing a bar. Or in other cases, it's just moving your body in all planes of motion and performing functional movement patterns with efficiency like squatting or pushing or pulling or hinging for basic activities for daily living. So why would you develop strength? Like I just said, strength is required for everyday things, lifting your kids, carrying your groceries. It's required for living a healthy and functional life. And it is well established in the literature that older adults with reduced muscle strength have higher mortality rates. If you are stronger, It seems to be a good indicator of health, and in addition, as you age, it's a contributing factor for preventing falls. A lot of times, you hear about an elderly person kind of going downhill, they say grandma fell and broke her hip. Well, really, it was that not the hip breaking, it was the fact that they couldn't brace themselves that led to the fall. And so, developing strength is really, really important, and maintaining it as you age is critical. Reduced muscular strength is associated with increased risk for cardiovascular disease, cardiovascular-related mortality, and all-cause mortality. There was a paper published in the Journal of the American Medical Directors Association, which found that is that if you get an acute illness, such as cancer or even a severe illness, people that were strong live longer and were able to exit outside of those illnesses, you know, healthy and thriving. The American College of Sports Medicine And the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services recommend total body strengthening sessions at least twice a week. So you don't have to be a power lifter or bodybuilder to incorporate strength training into your exercise regimen. Everyone, and I mean everyone, should be doing some kind of strength training as long as you are healthy enough to engage in physical activity. I would say rigorous physical activity. I'm going to tell you right now. There is no magic formula for getting stronger. The key to getting stronger is overloading your muscles. It's that simple. You simply need to overload the body in a progressive manner to stimulate adaptation. This could mean only performing push-ups from your knees to start, then moving to regular push-ups from your feet to improve upper body strength. You don't need wrist wraps or knee wraps or to wear Chuck Taylor Converse to be somebody that needs to develop strength. It's for everyone, and it's really not that complex. Do you remember the old story of Milo and the calf? Milo was a 6th century BC wrestler from the city of Croton. The story goes that Milo developed freakish strength by hoisting onto his shoulders a newborn calf one day when he was a little boy and then lifting it 
every day as he and the calf grew. And over time, he was soon able to lift a fully grown cow. The moral of the story is this. By slowly increasing load over time, it's darn near impossible not to improve or to get stronger in this case. A lack of patience is where most people fail. And at the end of this podcast, I will talk a little bit about autoregulation, a way to change the volume and intensity of training on a near but daily basis if you want to prevent burning out, getting injured, or plateauing for long periods of time. But before we get into the methods, let's discuss the physiological adaptations that occur with strength training. All right, the first one is an increase in muscle cross-sectional area or muscle hypertrophy. The muscle's getting bigger. Did a whole podcast on that. When you increase the size of the muscle, you increase its force generating capacity because you increase the number of sarcomeres, which if you remember back to my previous episode, it's the fundamental contractile unit of the muscle. So the bigger the muscle is, the more of these units you have. In addition, when you perform strength training, you have a preferential increase in the cross-sectional area of type 2 fibers. There's two types of fibers, generally speaking. I'm not going to go into the subdivisions, but there's type 1 and type 2. Type 1 or more, they're fast-twitch fibers that can produce more force. Another adaptation to strength training is alterations in the connective tissue stiffness. So when you contract your muscle, you aren't just impacting the muscle belly itself. Muscles connect to bones through tendons, and bones are connected to bones through ligaments. So when you perform resistance training, you also improve the quality and the performance of these connective tissues. Connective tissues react to strength training by adding more collagen fibers to your ligaments and tendons and more osteocytes to your bone. So your skeleton, your bones actually become more... um, more robust. And that's why it's really important as you age to prevent osteoporosis to do some type of strength training to overload the bones. We could talk about that in another podcast if y'all are interested. Another thing which is pretty interesting is that strength training changes the actual architecture of the muscle, which impacts its force generating capabilities. The pinnation angle of the muscle changes. Pinnation is the angle between the longitudinal axis of the entire muscle and its fibers. And this actually changes the force velocity characteristics of the muscle. I highly recommend you Google pinnation because it's really kind of cool how you can see how these angles of the muscles change. The greater the pinnation angle, the more force the muscle can generate because more muscle fascicles or bundles of skeletal muscles we've packed into a smaller area which leads to a greater number of these cross-bridge interactions or the ratcheting contraction of the muscle, which creates more force. Sounds like a lot, but when you just realize that increasing strength actually changes the architecture of the muscle, it's pretty cool. Another thing is neuromuscular adaptations, and this is one of the biggest ones for strength training. And there's a couple of them I'm going to go through. The first one is enhanced motor unit recruitment. A motor unit can be defined as an alpha motor neuron and all the fibers it innervates or connects to. And alpha motor neurons are large, multipolar lower motor neurons in the brainstem and spinal cord. They innervate skeletal muscle fibers and are directly responsible for initiating contraction. Just a reminder, 
your muscles are nothing but a dumb piece of meat. There is no such thing as muscle memory. Your nervous system controls your muscles. So when you train for strength or power, the nervous system is the primary driver for adaptation. So you can recruit more muscles by doing strength training, and it's because the nervous system is having to recruit more high threshold motor units, which is number two. Not all of your muscles fire at once when when you exercise or when you do anything. Otherwise, you wouldn't have dexterity. Think about it. If you were to pick up a pencil and, and you were to be able to, ma- every time you picked up the pencil, you maximally contracted your, your muscles in your hands, you just shatter every pencil. Your body isn't recruiting all motor units for every activity. But when you're trying to improve strength, you want to tap into some more motor units. So motor units recruited based on task demands. Moving from type 1 fibers used for low force magnitudes to type 2 fibers for higher speed and force requirements. So uh, these motor units are recruited in a stepwise fashion. So to train a motor unit, it must be recruited. And when your body is required to generate more force, you move up the continuum to these higher threshold units. And you can do that through training. You can tap into these higher order units uh, with lower force thresholds. And one of the ways you can do that is ballistic training, which we're going to talk about later. But strength training is going to help you tap into the ability to recruit more muscle fibers through higher threshold motor units. Another thing that happens is something called rate coding has increased or firing frequency. You can actually increase the frequency with which neural impulses are transmitted from alpha motor neurons to muscle fibers upwards of 300 to 1500%. It's basically the way I think about it is you're putting more electricity into the extension cable. I mean, you can really start adding some power into things. Another thing that happens, another adaptation to strength training is improved motor unit synchronization. You improve the activation or of two or more motor units. So these muscles are now starting to act in synchronization to apply force. Power training also does this to a great degree. You also get an increase in neural activation. This is really fascinating to me. You get more central neural input. So studies have demonstrated that when one limb is trained, let's say your right arm, and the other limb is untrained, um, the contralateral limb actually increases strength. So if my right arm is trained, and let's say I have an injury to my left arm, roughly 50% of the adaptation that occur in the trained limb may occur in the contralateral limb. So why is this happening? Well, researchers believe it's because of one of a couple things. One, cross-limb cortical interactions. Another is adaptation in spinal cord excitability. Ultimately, the unilateral strength training may cause adaptations in neural drive that basically spills over into the untrained limb. In addition, the untrained limb may access the neuromuscular adaptations that occur within the control system or the nervous system with this type of training. It just goes to show that the nervous system is driving most adaptations. We've spoken about eccentric training before. That's like the yielding portion of a lift. So for instance, if you're doing bench press, the pressing portions, the concentric, the yielding or lowering is eccentric is a very effective strategy. 
for improving corticospinal excitability. So if somebody's injured, what I used to do in athletics when I was training athletes is we would train the contralateral limb or the opposite limb and we do a lot of eccentric work. Here's the take on point. There's a huge neurological component for improving strength. That's why with novices, you'll see dramatic changes in strength, often in the order of just a few weeks without seeing significant changes in the muscle. All right, so let's get to the how, what everybody wants to hear. How do I do this? Before we do that, I want to talk about exercise selection, okay? That's more important than the intensity of training for most people, and here's why. Before we can talk about loading a muscle, we need to pick a good exercise. And there really isn't a bad exercise, but not every exercise is good for everyone. Here's what I mean. If you want to get your legs stronger, if you're older and maybe you got a bad back or hips, you shouldn't probably be doing barbell squatting. Rather, you could get on a leg press or a belt squat or do dumbbell single leg squats and not line, uh, not load up the spine. You want to put your body in a position to apply maximal force because one of the things you're going to have to do to get stronger is overload the muscle. I have shoulder issues, so I don't do barbell bench presses. I haven't done them in years. I do mostly dumbbell bench press and some floor presses. The key is you want to pick exercises that you can perform with technical proficiency. If it's a machine chest press versus a bench press, that's fine. If anybody tells you any different, they don't know what they're talking about. Choose an exercise you can have proficiency with, you can you can execute well, and that has a minimal orthopedic cost. For lower body, I love trap bar deadlifts for strength training. There's no spinal loading. The bar isn't in front of you, which can get you in a bad posture. It's Your hands are at your side. It's easy to keep your back in a good posture, and it's just really easy to execute. Body weight exercises is a great place to start for a lot of people. The body weight offers a ton of resistance. Before you have somebody do like walking dumbbell lunges or before you engage in something like that or step ups on a single leg, you should be able to do it body weight. And if you can't, you should regress it. So if you can't do walking body weight lunges and control yourself, going down, coming out without collapsing and hitting your knee on the ground, you should probably do in place split squats. If you can't squat body weight for 15 to 20 times, uh, you don't need to add resistance to that. A lot of people try to skip ahead. Master your body weight before trying to lift really heavy things. Most people can't do a lot of pull-ups. And so you may even have to think about this in the opposite direction. You may need to start doing like light pull-downs before you get to pull-ups. But I would highly suggest make sure you can move your body, use your body as a resistance first, and demonstrate that you can move and do basic movement patterns with technical proficiency, hinging, squatting, pushing, pulling before you move to weights and have a qualified expert working with you. Okay. Now to volume and intensity. If you want to get stronger, I said this, I think five times on the podcast, you're going to have to overload the muscle. You won't get stronger curling a pencil. You have to overload the biceps to increase bicep strength. But how much intensity do you need? Well, it depends. I'm going to put a link to a paper in the podcast notes. And the title of the paper is Applications of the Dose Response for Muscular Strength Development, a Review of Meta-Analytic Efficacy and Reliability for Designing Training Prescription. That is a mouthful, but it's a really good paper. 
Here's some of their primary high-level findings. If you are an untrained individual, you have never done weight training, they saw improvements over time. They're looking at multiple research papers. They saw improvements in maximal strength gains at a mean intensity of 60% of one repetition maximum. What is a one repetition maximum? That's the maximum amount of weight that you can lift one time. I do not recommend that people go out and try to do a one rep max to figure out where they are. You can do five rep maxes, 10 rep maxes. For instance, you could take a weight, put it on the bar, warm up really well, and find a try to pick a weight you can do five to 10 times without failing and dropping on yourself. And there's a calculators out there. I'm actually going to put one in the show notes so you can calculate a one RM if you want to use percentages. Okay. But for untrained people, 60% of one rep max, which is really light, three days a week with a mean training volume of four sets per muscle group elicited significant changes in maximal strength. So this is what it may look like. If all you could bench press is 100 pounds, and let's say you did a warm-up set with 30 pounds, and then you did 60 pounds for uh, four sets of five repetitions, you would get stronger if you did that a couple days a week, three days a week. 60 pounds is really light. For adolescents and beginners, you need very little volume. I'm actually going to do a whole an entire episode on something called the one by 20 method with a good friend of mine is going to come on the show and it is a perfect training program for a beginner, a recreational athlete, or if you have a child that wants to start training and it's literally one set per exercise early on, you need minimal volume, but you need to stress the muscle for a recreational trained non-athlete. That would be like your regular gym goer the intensity that you need to exercise at is roughly 80% of a one rep max, two days per week, and a mean volume of four sets, okay, per muscle group. So for instance, if you wanted to strengthen your chest, right, you would need to do four working sets of bench press with roughly 80% of your one rep max. Um, Bent over rows, lower body, okay, if you are an athlete, and I'm going to say somebody that's 18 years or older training at a really high level, and this is not going to be most of the people on this podcast, you're going to have to train with much higher intensities as time goes on with significantly more volume. Their research showed that you need to train with roughly 85% of your 1RM two days per week with a mean training volume of eight sets per muscle group. So if you want to improve your chest strength, your pec strength and tricep strength, you'd have to do maybe four sets of bench press and four sets, working sets of incline press. They give you eight sets and you'd have to do that twice a week. Okay. So here's something I want you all to understand. I'm not, I didn't tell you how many reps you need to do. I told you the intensity, the number of times per week and the total number of sets. Okay. So for that recreational trained athlete, which probably most people here going to the gym, it was 80% was the intensity, which is moderately heavy, at least twice a week with a total of, of four sets. So how many reps do you need to do? Uh, Dr. Andy Galpin, who came on the show before, uh, he came back, came on months ago, phenomenal episode. You should go listen to it. He has a rule of thumb that I think is really good for this. Three to five sets 
with three to five reps, with something that's heavy, that you can move without failing. The weight has got to challenge you. So if you were going to do three sets of three, you'd maybe do three to four warm-up sets, and then you would, let's say you're going to do bench press, you would do three sets of three, and you'd want to leave like a couple good reps in the tank. You do not want to get to failure, but you need to strain with good technical proficiency. So you could do, with his heuristic, a rule of thumb, you could do three sets of five, five sets of three, three by five. I already said that, three by three or five by five. So sets of three to five for three to five sets. I think that's a great way to look at it for most recreational trained individuals. I do not recommend, once again, assessing your one repetition maximum or even going to failure for strength work. As you age, the benefits do not outweigh the cost. You can get significantly stronger with moderate to moderate heavy weights. You do not need to be going to failure. Uh, you should never put yourself in a position where you're pushing or moving a weight that's so heavy that you, if, you, if you don't have a spotter, you won't be able to finish it. I just don't think that's smart. You can get stronger with that 80% rep range, three to five sets, three to five reps of something that you can move that's going to challenge you. If you're doing bench press, I highly do I do highly recommend that you have a, a spotter at all times because you never know what could happen. You don't want to drop a bar in your face. But think about how you could apply this to a whole lot of different things. Let's say you want to increase lower body strength, okay? And you've been going to the gym for quite a while, and you're like, you know what? I want to do single leg exercise. I want to get better at lunges. And you want to get stronger in that area. Not looking for hypertrophy, but you want to get improved strength. You could do two more upsets with walking dumbbell lunges and then do three sets of five each leg with something that really challenges you, but you can perform with technical proficiency. You do this two to three times a week, you're going to get better. So the next question is, is how much rest do I need between strength-based days? I recommend at least 48 hours. I don't recommend doing the same um, body part back-to-back days. Now, you could do upper body and then come back the next day and do lower body, um, especially if you don't do a ton. I mean, most people can't do four or five strength sets. I think that would be rather insane for people 40-plus that are non-athletes. Um, so you could do like a Monday upper body strength, Tuesday lower body strength, day off, Thursday, Friday, I find that most people can only do three weightlifting sessions a week. And if you're going to include some strength training in that session, give yourself a day off in between. You're going to feel fresher. You're going to give your body more opportunity to recover because the central nervous system, as we said, is driving a lot of these adaptations. It takes longer to recover, okay, because it can be, it can really drain you. You can go in, lift some heavy weights, not do a ton of sets and you can feel exhausted the next day because it drains your central nervous system. One more factor that I have not discussed yet for strength training is rest intervals. Because you are having to lift heavier weights to overload the muscle, you need to rest more between sets. You can't rest 60 to 90 seconds and try to move 80 to up to 90, 95% of your one rep max. A standard rule of thumb for rest intervals for doing strength work is at least two minutes of rest between sets. 
If you're lifting really, really heavy weight, like let's say you're pushing 90 to 95% of your 1RM, you may have to rest up to five minutes. Otherwise, you will not be able to move intense weights over several sets. You just can't do it. So two to five minutes rest between uh, working sets for strength training. Now, I'm going to give you a little tip on the back end here of the podcast on how to progress your training. You know, some people are always trying to rush and increase the intensity. That is a recipe for injury and burnout. But there's something called the two for two rule. You can increase the amount of weight for a given exercise if you can perform greater than or equal to more than two reps over your assigned repetition goal for the last set in two consecutive training sessions. So for example, let's say you plan to do three sets of three of 85% or something that's pretty heavy uh, for your working sets on trap bar deadlift. I'm just picking an exercise. But on your last set, you can do five reps without failing for two sessions in a row, then you can bump up your weight. Otherwise, it's probably a good idea to stay where you're at. If you're looking for other advanced methods for daily auto-regulation, which means that you can change how much you're lifting each day based off of how your body is recovering, I recommend looking at auto-regulatory progressive resistance exercise, or APRE. And I'm going to put a link to a journal article that explains how this works. And I'm hoping to get one of the authors of a really great paper on this on the podcast. For those of you that don't want to do the legwork, we've developed new strength training recommendations for weightlifting in our AIM-7 app. So if you have a program, it'll tell you how many exercises to do, how many sets, the rest interval. So we did something like that in the app because we know a lot of people struggle with this. So let's do a recap here. The adaptations that drive improvements in muscular strength occur both in the muscle, like increasing cross-sectional area, and also in the neuromuscular system, the nervous system, uh, recruiting higher level threshold motor units and synchronizing more of these motor units so that you can generate more force. If you want to improve strength and you're a novice, you don't need much training volume. You can get away with just four sets per muscle group with a very low intensity with maybe three sessions a week. If you're a recreational trained non-athlete, maybe two sessions a week, mean volume of four sets, at least in the 80% rep range for athletes 18 up that are training really hard, like college athletes or pro athletes, they could take up to eight working sets per muscle group several times a week, two times a week. As a rule of thumb, just really, really simple. I like Andy Galpin's way of looking at it. Three to five reps for three to five sets. For strength exercises, I recommend at least 48 hours between difficult training sessions with rest intervals, two to five minutes. Hey, listen, if you found today's podcast valuable and you're really loving this content, would you please share it with somebody? Do us a favor and hit that subscribe button because that will really help out the show. Thanks again for listening. I'll catch you on the next episode.